Welcome to the More God, Less Me podcast. My name is Justin Lee, and I'm so glad to have you guys with me today. I think this is going to be a pretty interesting episode. Um, And I think this episode also is a good example of how God works sometimes, because the way that this episode came about, honestly, was I was laying in bed the other night, trying to go to sleep, not even really thinking, and all of a sudden my mind flooded with harsh, harsh truths why many Christians struggle. And then the main topics for this whole thing popped in my mind. I wrote them down real fast, went to bed, and then ever since I've been working on them, compiling the notes, and just preparing to do this episode of the podcast. And I just, I feel like that's how God works so often in our lives, because you'll be searching and seeking and trying to find that thing that God wants you to talk about, and like God praying and reading the Bible and be so deep in things, and like it seems like God's silent. And all of a sudden, you're just in bed, laying there, getting ready to fall asleep, or you're driving in the car, I've had that happen, or you're just in some place, and you're not even really thinking about anything, and boom, this thing pops into your mind, and it's just what you needed at just the right time to speak to just the right people. And I think that the reason that God does that is because it kind of humbles us, and it helps us to realize that it's not us, but it's God working through us that enables to do such great things for the ministry and such great things for the body. It's not ourselves, but it's God working through us. I think it's a great blessing and a great thing that God is able to do through us. It's pretty impressive. Anyways, let's get to the the true meat of this message. Like I said, we're going to talk about the reasons why many Christians today are still struggling in the faith. And it's a sad truth, but it is true that many Christians are struggling, and they're doing so in ways that really they don't even have to. You know, the Bible doesn't tell us that we'll have these great struggles of the faith. It doesn't say that we won't have struggles, but we shouldn't have these struggles of the faith, you know. We shouldn't have issues in our faith, even though we'll face issues in this life, and we should be able to go through them through our faith. But still we see people that are struggling when certain life situations come upon them. Now, I believe there are several reasons for this, and we'll break those down throughout the episode, but I just want to get it out in the open in the very beginning of the podcast that some of this may not be what you want to hear. It may hurt. It may sting a little bit. It may cause you to not want to listen. But what we have to understand is that often the word that we don't want to hear is the one that we really need to hear. It's the word that actually is going to change us. It's going to help us to live better lives for God. It's going to help us to be who God wants us to be. You know, the Bible is a great book, but often when we read it, what the Bible tells us to do goes against what our flesh wants to do. And I think that a lot of ways when we hear different messages or we hear different people speak, Sometimes our flesh just wants to turn it off, right? Our flesh gets offended, and it doesn't like what it hears, and it tries to convince our minds to shut out what is being said. But what I'm hoping you'll be able to do is to stick with this, that you won't turn it off before you finish, and that you might be able to gain the insight that you need to get more God and less of yourself in your life. That's the whole point of this podcast, is we're seeking after more God and less of ourselves. And sometimes that means having a little bit graded off. And when you're taking something off, it doesn't feel good. You know, like if you even, if you have, you know, a growth and the doctor's going to take it off, it's going to hurt a little bit, but it's going to end out better in the end. You're going to, you didn't need that part, right? And we don't need anything left over from our sinful nature. We need to remove as much of it as we can, but it still hurts. It's still taking something that is pleasing to the flesh, but is bad for the spirit. And we should be doing all that we can to take away things from the flesh and be good for the spirit. And in the long run, we're going to feel so much better once the procedure's over. And so I just hope you'll stick with me, that you'll be able to grow closer to God through this podcast. If you're struggling, 
the things that I believe that God has given me could really help you to get into a better place with God and to understand why you've been struggling because it can be hard, you know, as a Christian to struggle in the faith, to have fears, to have worries, to have anxieties, to not be able to withstand the same things that you see other people withstanding. And it causes you to question your faith and question the reality of God. And a lot of times it's not that God is the problem, but it's our own way of living out the faith that is the problem. And so I just hope that you'll try, that you'll listen, and that you'll find the answer to the problems that you're struggling with. And so without any further ado, I think that we need to get started. And so one of the first major reasons that I believe that Christians today are struggling is because they listen, but they don't obey. You see, you may go to church, you may read the Bible, you may pray, and obviously you consume Christian content because you're listening to this podcast, and I can only assume that this is one of many different Christian things that you listen to, and that being the case, you are listening to Christian content, but are you living out the knowledge you have of God? Are you putting what you know about God, what you know about God's Word, into action in your daily lives? Are, is your life actively a reflection of the way that God's Word says that you ought to live? Jesus taught that those who both listen to and obey his teaching would be building on a solid foundation, while those who listened but didn't obey would be building on sand. You have to ask yourself, which one of those describes you? I think it's important not just to say like a little synopsis there, but to look at the actual verse. If we look at Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27, it says, Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents, and the floodwaters rise, and the winds beat against the house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and the floods come, and the winds beat against the house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. Which one of those verses describes you? Are you able to have a storm come in your life, a bad situation, you get, uh, you know, you get demoted at your job, or... You get sick, or this happens, or that happens. If you get in a car accident, when the storms of life come, when things get bad, how do you face them? Are you like that house that's built on a firm foundation, and you may get shaken a little bit, but you don't fall apart? After the storm, everything's still there. It's still firm. It's still livable. There's no repairs that need to be. You're not broken. Or when the little things come, when the storms come, when the waters rise in your life, are you finding yourselves falling with a mighty crash? Does everything come crashing down every time things get a little bit choppy in life? If so, you have to ask yourself, have I been doing what Jesus said? Have I been listening to the teaching of Jesus and following it? Am I a wise person? Have I done as God says and listens to the Word? I've heard it said that sand is nothing more than fragments of rock. And that when Jesus refers to building on sand, it is like trying to build a life on fragments of the Bible. A lot of times that's what people do, is they try to like, I'll live on these truths, but I don't really want to do these other truths, and so I'm not going to do that. But when we do that, we're breaking up the Word of God, and we're making an unfirm foundation. So you may say, well, I am living on truths of God, but that's not what Jesus said. He didn't say anyone who listens to my teaching and follows some of it is wise. He said anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. That means the wholeness of it, the the wholeness of what Jesus taught we should be building our lives upon, and then we'll be able to weather those storms. If you're struggling, you have to really consider these things. Am I truly looking at God's Word 
And am I truly living it to the fullest of my ability and the knowledge that I have of Christ? Or am I making excuses and am I doing things that are wrong? Because that's what it really comes down to. Sometimes we excuse ourselves and come up with a reason to do things that are wrong. One of the biggest and saddest excuses that I see people use is that, well, I noticed that so-and-so wasn't doing this or so-and-so wasn't doing that. And what we have to understand is that we don't know what they know. And we don't know the change that will take place in their life later. Maybe they're the ones that are going to hear a podcast like this and actually correct the issues in their lives when you're still thinking that they haven't corrected those issues and are still living wrong. And ultimately, when we get to the judgment day, God isn't going to judge you based on what so-and-so knew or what so-and-so did. God's going to look at you. The Bible says that we are going to be judged based on our actions and the ways that we lived out our lives. We are individually judged by a God who is able to look at us with no bias, with anything, and just say, did this person live out the fullness that they knew and the fullness of my word? That is how we're going to be judged at the end of times. And if we're doing things knowingly that we shouldn't be doing, one, we're setting ourselves up for failure in this life, as, as that verse has already said. We're, we're building on an unstable foundation that will fall. And we're setting ourselves up for failure in the future when it comes to the judgment day. Because I don't read a Bible that says that we'll have an excuse before God. It doesn't seem like we're going to be able to make a case. We're simply going to be able to say, yes, God, this is that was how I lived. And how we lived will have an impact on whether or not we see heaven. That's the simple truth of it. Well, you need to understand that being a Christian goes far beyond simply knowing what the Bible says. We have to put it into action in order for that word to be affected, which is what Jesus was trying to teach us. There's another verse that I find really impactful on this whole kind of subject. It's in James chapter 2, verse 19. It says, You say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. It's a crazy thought to think that the demons know God, right? Because we think, like, if they knew God, then they, why would they be going against God, right? But the, it says that the demons know who God is, and it actually causes them to tremble. If we think about the story where Jesus, not the story, but the account. I don't like saying story. I try not to. Um, but when we think of the account of when Jesus encounters the demon-possessed man, and the demons beg to be cast into the pigs instead of being cast into hell. They know the future that is there for them, and they're afraid of it. They don't want to face that future, right? But they have a knowledge, but it's not a saving knowledge. It's a knowledge without any kind of trying to be different, trying to change. And that's the same way a lot of people practice their faith as Christians. They have a knowledge of who God is, but that knowledge isn't what's going to change your life. It isn't what makes your life easier to bear. It isn't what makes your life better as a Christian. Knowledge isn't enough. We have to put that knowledge into action. Because otherwise, we're just like the demons, and we know that demons won't be saved. We know that their life situation isn't improved by any knowledge that they have of Christ. But it's about knowledge and putting that knowledge into action. We, we, ha we know that we're saved by faith alone through grace. It's clear. It is extremely clear. But at the same time, our faith can only be seen in our actions. Because actions that are... The, the actions are the right response to the knowledge we gain from the Word of God. When you look at Peter, uh, sorry, not Peter, when you look at Paul, and when you look at James, a lot of people struggle when you look at those two authors because Paul makes a point to make it clear that we are not saved by works. Yet you have James who talks a lot about works and how that you won't know that you are, like you can, no one can know that you're saved without your works. And people think that these two are in opposition to each other when actually they complement each other. And the way that I like to look at it is that good works do not produce salvation. 
but salvation produces good works. Nothing that we do is going to be able to save us, but everything we do proves whether or not we're saved. It's the fruit of the tree. Either we're producing good fruit from a saved, from a faith-filled life, or we're producing bad fruit, we're producing thorns and thistles from a life that actually isn't saved. Our actions and the way that we live as Christians will show whether or not we are saved. That is how the world can know who is who, is by the fruit that we produce in our lives, the visible things that we do, the things that people can see, is what will show whether or not that we have actual true salvation living in our lives. So many Christians are struggling because even though they know the teaching, they simply aren't living it. What we need to understand is that the lifestyle that is taught in the scriptures is not just a spiritual lifestyle. It's a practical one. Meaning that when we put God's word into action, it will have a massive impact on our lives. Things will change when we begin to live out God's word. If you believe that God is the author of the Bible and that he has a purpose in all things, then it only stands to reason that you would also believe that everything he instructs you to do has a reason and a purpose. Even if you don't understand it, you can trust that God has a reason and a purpose in it. Because why would he say it? Why would God want us to do certain things? Why would he want us to live certain ways? Why would he instruct us of certain things in the Bible unless he wanted us to do it? There is no other reason. What I truly believe is that if we live out what God calls us to do in that practical lifestyle, we will see an improvement in our lives. Yes, there is a spiritual improvement when we have the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, and we have joy, and we have peace, and we have understanding, but the Bible is very practical, because if we live out a lot of the stuff that Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount, and you think about what he's saying, it's talking about being a good steward, being good to people, sharing, loving, being gentle, being kind. And when we do those things, we'll receive good things back from those very same people. The better we are to someone else, the better they're going to be to somebody else, to us back. It's the whole golden rule mentality, right? And so it's no wonder that we're struggling as Christians when we don't live the Christian lifestyle. Because if we lived the Christian lifestyle, even practical things would go better in our lives. It doesn't mean that everything gets easy. It doesn't mean anything like that. But you'll see a practical change in your life. It's that simple. If we would simply obey God's word, everything would change. Our spiritual lives would change. Our physical lives in this world would change. Even if you think about the Bible tells us not to drink, right? That's going to make your physical life a lot better. But people still struggle to put alcohol down, even as Christians. And it's because instead of obeying the word where the Bible says that not to worry about anything, but to pray about everything. Instead of taking our issues to God, we still take, well, we don't, I don't drink, but people still take their issues to the bottle, right? We still take our issues to the wrong sources. Instead of just doing what the Word says and taking things to God, we try to take them in other places, and that's why we continue to struggle. If we would simply trust in God, if we would still simply live according to His Word and do what He's called us to do, then that would make it better. Maybe the fact that you're struggling is because you're willing to listen to Christian podcasts, you're willing to trust the Bible, but you're not willing to go and be around a church body when God created us to be in a church body, right? Hebrews says to not neglect the meeting, your meeting together as the last day approaches as some are apt to do. We shouldn't be not going to more church as days are getting harder and getting more difficult. We should be going to even more church as these things continue to happen, right? The Bible tells us that we have giftings and that those giftings are meant to help each other. We're interdependent as the church. 
And if we would live that out, if we would go around other people, if we would build a community of believers, that's only going to improve our life. It's only going to make our life better. It's not easy. People are still difficult to be around, but because they're people, they're human, they're flawed, but it's still a great blessing because they have something that they can do that helps us, and it will improve our lives. Everything that God told us is for a reason, guys, and if we would live it out to its fullest and we would just simply do what God has called us to do in his word, I guarantee you that your life would get better. I can say that my life has gotten better. There was times where I didn't do everything the way that the Bible said, even though I knew that there were things that I should be doing, right? Yet, when I started to do those things, man, I regretted not doing them sooner, right? I can guarantee you that if you find a true Bible-believing church, and you get into that church, and you yoke up with those people, it's going to improve your life. It's going to make things better. For one, you're obeying what God has taught us to do. We are taught that we need to be around other people. You can think about Jesus' ministry and all that he taught in that time. He didn't really send people out by themselves. And he got a community together. And then he told them, you need to go and be together whenever he said the Spirit was coming, right? There's a whole lot of together in the Bible. There's a whole lot of time spent together. And so if we would do those things, we would see such a massive change and a massive impact in our life. If only you would live out exactly what the Bible says. But the reason that people don't live out what the Bible says is because they struggle to trust God, which is the next point that I have, is that people are struggling because they don't fully trust God. And the reason that they don't trust God is that they don't know God. You see, why, why would we struggle because we don't trust God? Well, the Bible is full of so many great promises. If you think about Romans 8, 28, all things work to the good of those who believe and are called according to his purpose. John 3, 16, that God sent his only begotten son so that ever who believe on him will have eternal life. Revelation 21 and 4, and God will be with him and he'll wipe away every tear and there will be no more pain, no more suffering, no more crying. You have stuff like Josh and the stuff in Joshua that says, I will be with you wherever you go. You take these verses, and they're so impactful, and they're so truthful. But if we don't trust God, we can't trust in those verses, and we don't have that hope in our lives. We don't have that joy, that peace that comes from knowing that we can trust in our Heavenly Father. And the reason that we don't trust God is because we don't know Him, right? There's times when every Christian struggles a little bit to give everything to God. The Bible says to give all of your cares, to cast all your cares on God. And when we first come to God... Some people find it easier than others, but it's not the easiest thing in the world to do. Because while you know that God exists, while you believe that he's real, you know of him, you don't really know him. You haven't experienced God yet. And so it makes it hard to trust in God, just like in any relationship. It's so funny to me that we look at God and we think like, oh, things are so much different in Christianity and we can't understand things the way that we understood things in the world, but that's not true, right? There are great ways to understand our relationship with God as we understand things in the world. We don't meet somebody for the first time, even after hearing about them, you know, through the testimony of others and how great they are and think, I'm going to leave you the keys to my house the first day that I meet you and have you go there and watch my animals. Well, I don't know this person that, well, what if they steal something? What if they don't lock the door? What if they let the cat out when it doesn't ever come back? You don't know them, so you don't know how they are, how they'll act, how they'll respond, and you don't have a full trust for them. Because you haven't spent the time to develop a relationship. And the same thing is true from God. Yes, he saved you. Yes, he set you free. Yes, you know him from church. 
But do you really know God? Have you really spent the time in his word to see what he says for himself? Have you spent the time in prayer to develop an intimate personal relationship with God where you tell God things and you actually feel the leading of the Holy Spirit, leading of God telling you things? That's how you're going to grow to be with God. But if we don't do those things, then we, we won't ever trust God. And there's people that are Christians for so long, and they're in Christians in name, they're Christians in going to church, they're Sunday Christians, but they don't actually trust God. And so when tough times come, just like the person who doesn't live out God's word, when tough times come, they begin to question God. God, why did you allow this to happen? Why do you allow these things to, do, to happen to me? Why did, the, why did I wake up late today, God? Why did I have to use that amount of time? Well, maybe we could turn, and if we trust God, and we thank God, I don't understand why I woke up late today, but your word says you work everything to the good of those who believe. Maybe if I had been on time, I would have been in a car accident. Maybe this would happen, maybe that would happen. We can trust that God has our best interest in hearts, and when things happen, sometimes God is allowing them to happen for a greater purpose. But we can't see that purpose. We can't see that when we don't trust God, and when we don't know his word, when we don't know him intimately. But it's so much easier to trust and so much easier to know God or to trust in God and to know his promises will be true in our lives when we actually know him, just like in any relationship. So I implore you, if you're in that situation and you're struggling to trust God and you're struggling to know if you should actually live according to his word, right? Because what we started with was living out everything that God says and how that'll make your life better and it'll help you if you're struggling. But then if you still have a hard time trusting that God's word is right, then you don't really know God. Because if you knew God, it would become so much easier to obey, and you would realize that all that he's commanding you to do in his teaching is not burdensome. That's what the Bible says. It says that it's not burdensome to live out the commands of God. And it's actually something that you look forward to because you know that God's ways are better than your ways. But maybe you don't realize that because you don't actually have that relationship with God. So I say, get into the prayer room, Take that time. Take time in the morning. Take time throughout the day. The Bible says that Daniel prayed three times a day, morning, noon, and night. That's a great way to attend time in prayer, to get to know God. Pray before you go to bed. Take your things to God. Get to know God. Build that trust. Build that relationship. And I promise you, some of what you're struggling with will change. It will have an impact. But if you never build the relationship, then you'll never truly trust God. And he's the greatest person that we can trust because like sometimes we'll build a relationship with somebody and we'll begin to trust them and they will break that trust. They will do something that causes us to have the trust that we've built up broken. But God doesn't ever break our trust. God isn't like man. We can build and build and build our trust in God from the moment of our faith until the moment of our exit of this world. And he will never break our trust. Because he's a good God, he is a loving Father, and he has our best interest at heart. And we can trust him through all things, in all situations, and he will never do anything to harm us, to hurt us, or to upset us. Now that doesn't mean that we'll always be happy with the situation that we're in, but God will not purposefully do anything to you that will break that trust, like people in the world may do. Okay? And so that is why we should put our trust in God above all other people, and above all other things, because everything in this world can fail you, but God will never fail you. So I hope I've explained the trust issue and why we need to trust God uh, clearly. Now I want to talk about lacking the Holy Spirit. This is a very big deal. This is a very big one. And really, 
it's hard to do the other two, as we'll see as we talk about this. It's hard to live out God's word and to, to do God's word fully without the Holy Spirit. And it's pretty hard to trust in God without the Holy Spirit. Because having the Holy Spirit, having the Holy Ghost, being filled with God's Spirit, becoming the temple of God, is an integral part of the Christian faith. Jesus said that the Spirit would bring understanding. In John 14, 26, we read, But when the Father sends the Advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. And then in John 16, chapter, or sorry, chapter 16, verse number 13, it says, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, and he will not speak on his own, but he will tell you what he has heard and tell you about the future. So we're able to learn from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit leads us in learning. It helps us to grow in understanding. But not only that, the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans at chapter 8, verse 26, saying, And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. So not only do we gain knowledge from the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit prays for us. Those are some pretty important aspects of what we're able to gain from receiving God's Spirit. Those are life-changing things. And we see how they change lives when we look at how the apostles lived in the Gospels compared to how the apostles live in the book of Acts after chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit falls upon them. It's like two different groups of people, to be perfectly honest with you. Because before the Spirit comes, they were fearful, they lacked understanding, and even though they had spent years with Jesus, they still were afraid whenever he was taken away. He still was, even Jesus is like, do you not understand after all this time, what I'm trying to tell you, you think one of the ones that blows my mind, one of the greatest examples of the lack of faith of the apostles in the Gospels is Jesus just fed 5,000 people. And now they're in the same situation again. And they're like, man, I don't know what we're going to do. Guys, what do you mean you don't know what we're going to do? Last week, he just fed 5,000 people with some bread and fish. And here we are again with another few multitude of people, another few thousand people, and we got a couple loaves of bread and some fish. I'm going to assume that the guy that did it yesterday is able to do it again today, right? But they didn't have faith. They didn't have that life-saving faith. And then we look at Peter, and Peter was the guy, he's like, Jesus is like, listen, Peter, you're going to desert me. And Peter's like, I would never do it. I would rather die. Peter came in hardcore. He's like, listen, I'm not doing that. And Jesus said, before the rooster crows three times, Peter, you're going to deny me. And what did Peter do? He denied him three times. And then he realizes what he did, and it breaks him, and he goes away crying. Right? They didn't have the same faith that they do later, because then, after the Holy Spirit comes, these guys are tough. They're like the boldest people that you could ever imagine or ever see. I mean, we look at Acts chapter 4, verse 18 through 21. It says, So they called the apostles back in and commanded them never again to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. This was the Pharisees. This was the religious leaders. They'd already thrown them in, into jail for a little while. So they call them back in. They say, You're never do that again. Never speak in Jesus. And in verse 19, it says, But Peter and John replied, Do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? We cannot stop telling about everything that we have seen and heard. The council then threatened them further, but when they finally let them go, because they didn't know how to punish them without starting a riot, for everyone was praising God. 
So they threatened them. They later beat them. They continued to do all these things to the apostles, and yet they still had that boldness of the faith that just a few, you know, well not few, but like a couple months earlier, they didn't have. When Jesus was being crucified, when Jesus was being led away, they didn't have that faith. And it wasn't even after the resurrection that they had that faith, because after the resurrection, they did do what Jesus told them. They went to the upper room, and they waited. But they weren't being bold in the faith. They were hiding in that room. They were praying. They were seeking God. But then, boom, there's a change that happens. The Holy Ghost comes, and even Peter preaches the first sermon, right? Peter, who had said all kinds of crazy stuff, just was a talker, just to fill the air, then gets up and delivers a powerful message from what God is telling him through the Holy Spirit. And then we know that God's given them this knowledge because in Acts chapter 4, verse 13, they're identified as unlearned men. It says the members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures, and they also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. So, the knowledge that these guys possessed of the scripture amazed the religious leaders of the time. The people who were trained were amazed that the untrained men were able to so profoundly speak on the things of God, because that's not the way that it made sense back then. Unlearned people weren't able to wax philosophically about things and make sense. It was only expected that well-trained religious people were able to do that. This is what Jesus meant when those first verses that we read in John chapter 14 and John chapter 16, this is what he meant. This is what Jesus was talking about when he said that power would come when they received the Holy Spirit. And this power is still available to us living today. We can still have this power. There's no verse that tells us that the Holy Spirit is not for today. There's no verse that tells us that the gifts have ended. There's no verse that tells us that the time of perfection has come. Because as I'm looking around right now, things are not perfect. Yes, praise God, we have the full inspired Word of God that does not change. But that doesn't mean that we don't need power to give us understanding of that word and to give us understanding of what to say at the right time, in the right moment, to the right people to have an effect on their lives. There is a power in the Holy Spirit that God gives us still to this day. And it's still available to all people. Now the sad thing is, is that there's a lot of people who profess to be Christians and who believe that they possess the Holy Spirit. But they think that they possess the Holy Spirit simply because they have faith, simply because they believe that they've received salvation. They believe that that means that they've received the Holy Spirit, that it took place the moment that they gave their life to Christ, they then received the Holy Spirit, that they then became the temple of God. But I don't, I don't see that in the Bible, and I don't believe that you'll find that in the Bible. What we in fact see in the Bible is that something happens when we receive the Holy Spirit. Right? Well, if we look at the Samaritans, when the faith first came to them, the Bible says that they didn't receive the Holy Spirit until the apostles laid their hands on them. Let's look at Acts chapter 8, verse 14 through 17. It says, When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that the people of Samaria had accepted God's message, they sent Peter and John there. And as soon as they arrived, they prayed for these new believers to receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them. So, so... It says they had accepted God's message, right? It says that they believed. They were even baptized. It goes on to say that, for they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So we're looking at a group of people who accepted the message of God, 
who believed, who had life-changing faith, and were willing to be baptized and were baptized, yet they still had not received the Holy Spirit. Verse 17 says, Then Peter and John laid the, their hands upon these believers, and they received the Holy Spirit. The impressive thing about this verse also is that we, we are learning that there has to be something that shows whether or not somebody has received the Holy Spirit. There's a way to know pre-Holy Spirit and post-Holy Spirit. Now, obviously, as we've already seen, there's a way to know pre versus post by the way that we live. Our faith is going to change when we have the Holy Spirit. Our faith is going to change because the apostles' faith changed. They became bold in the faith, bold unto death. We didn't get into that a second ago, but these men died for preaching the gospel. And they were being told, if you deny Christ, we won't kill you. But if you continue to proclaim Christ, we're, we're going to murder you brutally. They chose to be murdered brutally instead of die for Christ. I don't think that they would have done that if they were forced to die the same day that Jesus did. I think they would have quickly denied Jesus, and we know that they would have because Peter did it without even the true threat of death. These people were just saying, like, weren't you with that guy? And Peter's like, no, not me. They were willing to deny Christ then, and then just a short time later, when a Spirit of God comes upon them, they're no longer willing to do it, right? So that's the first change that we can notice. But there has to be something else, because you can notice it the minute. all this, At one second, they don't have the Holy Spirit, and the next second, it says that they do have the Holy Spirit. Right, So there has to be something at play here, making it clear who has and who hasn't received God's Spirit. Now, personally, I view this as a great blessing from God. Because if, if there wasn't a sign of the Holy Spirit in our lives, then how could we ever say for sure that we have received God's Spirit? Right? How can you say that you know you have God's Spirit if there's no sign? You can't. You can't say it. You need something to happen to show whether or not you have it. And we can be sure that this is the case, and we can be sure that God's Spirit is living in us. That is why Paul was able to ask the disciples of John, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? Right? If it's just an assumption that the Holy Spirit came by faith, then when you meet people that you know have faith, you wouldn't have to ask that question. You would just already go with, yes, they, they believe. They are disciples of a man who knew Jesus, who taught Jesus. So obviously they have the Holy Spirit. But that wasn't the case. Paul asked them specifically, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? Let's look at this passage of Scripture. It's in Acts chapter 19, verses 2 through 6. It said, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? He asked them. No, they replied. We haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Then what baptism did you experience? He asked, and they replied, the baptism of John. Paul said John's baptism called for repentance from sin, but John himself told the people to believe in the one who would come later, meaning Jesus. And as soon as they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then, they still hadn't received the Holy Spirit, then when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in other tongues and prophesied. So when Paul laid his hands on them, that's when the Holy Spirit came upon them. And then they spoke in tongues as a sign that they had received the Holy Spirit, and they prophesied. So my question to you is, can you answer that question? Can you answer assuredly, in this moment, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? It's a yes or no question. It's not an I think, it's not a maybe this is a hard answer that we need to know, and it could be the very answer for why you have struggles in your faith. 
you need to know the answer to this question. You may think like, why am I pushing on this so hard? Because I've had this experience in my own life. I know that this is a reason that Christians struggle because I struggled and this was a massive part of the reason I struggled even though I was considered myself a Christian, even though I had faith, even though I went to church, even though I tried to pay, pray, even though I tried to read the Bible, I struggled in this way because I could not answer that question. I could not answer assuredly, yes, I've received the Holy Ghost until I did receive it. And then by God, I can answer now assuredly, yes, I have received the Holy Ghost. It's very clear when you have a sign of tongues that you have received the Holy Ghost. God makes it clear. God's not trying to hide it. It's not a secret. We don't need to have our Holy Ghost decoder rings out in the corner trying to figure out, did that person get it? Did that person not get it? It's a yes or a no. It's an on or an off. That's as simple as it is. So personally, I can say that I tried to live with God, for God without having received the Holy Spirit, and it was hard. I struggled to read the Bible, and it was even hard to overcome temptation. I believe I had been baptized and went to church, but I still wasn't experiencing the true life change that the Bible speaks of. Right? I hadn't received this whole radical life change where you take off the old man and you put on the new man. I didn't understand. I, I knew that was a thing in the Bible, but I couldn't understand it because I had not yet experienced it. Right? And when I really think about it, I was really living similar to how the apostles did before they received the Holy Spirit. Because I had a knowledge, I had knew God, I had lived with God for a time, right? I'd spent time in the church, I'd spent years living with God, but then if the pressure was ever put on, I think I could have been a Peter and denied because I didn't have something in me driving me closer to boldness, driving me closer to God, and helping me to understand the things of God. But everything changed when I was filled with God's Spirit. And it may sound crazy to you. It may sound like it doesn't make sense. But 100%, I tried to read the Bible so many times, guys, and I struggled. I struggled to read the Bible. I tried, and I tried, and I tried, and I tried, and I just couldn't get far in it, and it didn't make sense. You receive the Holy Spirit, read the Bible, it becomes so much easier. I wanted to read the Bible. I could understand the Bible. And then you, you look at the Scriptures, and they seem so much clearer connections start being made that you never made before. It was the greatest blessing that I ever had because finally I could understand why other people were so passionate about this Bible because now it makes sense, even though it didn't make sense before. And then for the first time, I began to truly experience the fruit of the Spirit described as the Bible. Those old, those sinful things, the, 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 the fruit of the flesh, I cast it away. They were gone. And then I began to experience the fruit of the Spirit, which Galatians 5, 22 through 23 says that the Holy Spirit produces. It's the thing we have to understand is that's why we may not be experiencing all that the Bible says that we should be experiencing is because if we don't have the Holy Spirit producing these things in our life, our flesh isn't going to produce these. We need the Spirit in us to produce them. And says the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things, praise God. That is, what, that is what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. And if you're struggling and you're not joyful and you don't have love and you don't have peace and you don't have patience and you don't have kindness, it's probably because you don't have God's Spirit. Because you can taste those things for a minute. Even being in the church, you'll taste those things for a minute, but they're not lasting like they are. That, un, that peace without, under, without that peace that is unexplainable 
doesn't become real until you have God's Spirit within you producing that very peace in your life. So if you're struggling like I used to struggle, if you don't feel like you're living out the fullness of God's Word, and if you can't answer that question, that have you received the Holy Ghost, then it's time to start seeking the Holy Ghost directly. Don't just believe that you have it. Read the book of Acts. Really try to read it. And try to see if you can tell for sure that people get the Holy Ghost simply by believing. It is not something that you see in the Bible. It is not there. And so you need to seek the Holy Ghost. And better yet, you need to find a church that believes in the gifts of the Spirit are still for today. My recommendation would be that you find an apostolic church. I'm apostolic. I believe that that is the truth. I believe that that is the perfect way. If you think about Priscilla and Aquila saying that there was a more perfect way to Apollos, I think the more perfect way that most Christians, or all Christians, are searching for today is in the apostolic church, where you find balance. You find balance between the things of the Spirit, and you find balance between the truth of the Word, right? They right the rightly divided Word can be found in the apostolic church. And if you need help finding a church, then send me an email at the more God less me podcast at gmail.com and I will do my best to help you find a church in your area filled with Bible-believing people who are filled with the Spirit and who want to see you filled with the Spirit so you can experience the fullness life change that comes from having God's Spirit truly live within you. Not the assumption, but the true Spirit living within you. I want to move on quickly to the fact that a Another reason that people struggle, which is that they spend more time looking at the world than they do looking at the things of God and God himself. It is hard, if not impossible, to live for God while trying to keep your eyes on the world. We go the direction that we are looking. And this is something that we recognize in our daily lives. We've all been driving down the road and started looking out the side window and slowly drifted that direction until a screaming horn brings us quickly back into our own lane. Even when we walk, right? You go walking down the hallway, you go walking, even think about the mall. The mall is bad about this, and you see it in so many other people, where people are walking down the hallway in the mall, they begin to look over at the food court, or at this store, or that store, or, you know, like, young worldly boys notice a girl, you know, and they begin to veer in the direction of that, and they start cutting you off, or you're cutting other people off, and it's just, you're going to walk the direction that your head is pointed, and that's no different in our spiritual lives, right? We are going to be looking in the way, if we're looking towards the world, we're going to be walking towards the world. But if we're looking towards God, then we're going to be walking towards God. It's, this is, like I said earlier, it's so funny that we think that things are different between the physical and the spiritual, but it's not. Like in this ex specific example, it is no different in the physical than the spiritual. Where you're looking is where you're going to be going. It is a fact of life. None of us can look one way and walk a perfectly straight line the other way. It simply isn't true, right? And even if you can do it when you're fully focused, you're not actually looking at something. Something hasn't captivated your attention. But if we allow something to captivate our attention, we're going to start to slowly turn and walk towards it. And the reason that this is important as Christians is because of what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 through 14. It says, You can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. 
The highway to hell is broad, and its gate is wide for the many who will choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow, and the road is difficult, and only a few ever find it. That's a pretty impactful verse when we look at it in this context. Because it's saying that if we, we only have a narrow path to walk to end up on the pathway of God. So if we're captivated by the world and we're looking at the world, it's going to be very easy to slowly walk off that narrow path and end up on the wide path that's leading towards destruction. That's the simple truth of it. The wide path leads to hell and the narrow path leads to heaven. And it's a lot easier to walk off that narrow path because we get distracted by the things of this world. So we must pay attention and be able to realize when our focus has shifted off God and back to the world. Because the only way that we're going to be able to keep the correct course is if we're fully focused on God. This is the very same reason, I believe, that in the Jesus' metaphor that some seed never developed deep roots. They liked the idea of Jesus and the Bible, but these people were never able to shift their gaze off the world and fully on Christ. And so when hard times came and they were quickly able to lose any zeal that they had for God, and they slowly drifted back into the world. That's the simple truth of it. And a practical way to look at this and to think about this is the Bible says that godliness with contentment is great gain. But we live in a culture today that struggles to be content. And especially as Christians, we struggle to be content still, even though the Bible says that we should strive for contentment. Because instead of doing, instead of following people who are content, we follow the world. If you're following people on Instagram that are discontent, it's going to cause you to be discontent, right? People who are, if you're following people who are constantly getting more things, getting new things, it's going to cause you to want those very same things in your life. And it's the same thing in other ways. If we look at the world, we're going to want the things of the world. And so it's so important that we try to not look at the world, that we monitor the entertainment that we watch, that we monitor the things that we do, and we do our best to not become like the world. Because the Bible says in John, 1 John 2, verse 15, it says, Do not love this world, nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of God in you. How can you tell that you love the world? Because your eyes are focused on the things of the world. If we love God, our eyes are focused on the things of God. Our minds are captivated by the things of God. That doesn't mean that we don't occasionally watch a football game, occasionally watch a TV program. But it's where our eyes are focused, where we are staring, where our focus is, is what's going to draw us. And if you're focused on the world, it's no surprise that you're struggling to live for God because you're being pulled in a direction. So if you're struggling to live for God, if you're being affected by music, by entertainment, by the people you follow online, by even the various friend groups that you still have that don't believe in God, and that's causing you issues, there are things that you need to cut out. Jesus said that it would be better to cast your right hand into the fire if it causes you to sin than to go to hell with both hands. It would be better to go to heaven with one hand than to go to hell with both hands. If Jesus makes such an affirmative statement about something so important to us like a hand, then why would we not apply that to other aspects of the life and get rid of the cell phone, get rid of the TV, get rid of the music, whatever it is that's causing us to not be able to live for God properly and leading us from God, and is causing the struggles that we have in our life, we should be cutting those things off so that we can live a better, more purposeful, more pointed life to God. And that's going to lead to the final reason that I think that so many people are struggling as Christians, and that's because they lack a willingness to sacrifice and to pick up and bear their cross. Right? Because contrary to popular belief, 
It takes personal sacrifice to really live for God. We have to be willing to give things up. We have to be willing to give up the entertainment of this world. We have to be willing to give up time. We have to be willing to give up things so that we can chase after God. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 24 through 26, Jesus said to his disciples, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? So here you are as a Christian, and you should be living this overcoming, this joyful, this peace-filled lifestyle regardless of the things you're facing, yet you're still struggling. And why are you struggling? It's because you aren't willing to deny yourself the pleasures of this world, and those things are holding you back and pulling you back and keeping you from God. You have to be willing to sacrifice. And sacrifice looks like giving up the things of this world and replacing them with Bible study, with praying, with worship, with church attendance, with sh uh, serving others. Ultimately, giving up time of things that you once thought were valuable and taking and giving that time to God. And what you're doing actually is building something far more valuable. And I can assure you that it's going to bring you more peace, more joy, more energy, more happiness. And you're going to want to do more and more the more that you do. But you have to rip the Band-Aid off. You have to do the sacrifice. And it's not easy. And it's not fun at first. But it gets better, and it gets better than anything that you've ever experienced in the world. I can assure you of it because I am living it. I am, it is 8 o'clock at night on a Tuesday. I worked all day, and man, do I feel great right now because I am doing something for God. I am giving time. I spent time today in study and in prayer and in preparing these notes, and it feels so good to be doing something for God even though the flesh may say it would be nice to be sitting down and watching television right now. But it definitely wouldn't be helping anybody else overcome their struggles and overcome the things that they're struggling with. And it wouldn't be helping me to do what God has called me to do. <coughs> and so that's why it's so important to just sacrifice the little things and you'll find that you enjoy it so much better. So we've looked at these several reasons that I believe that Christians are struggling. Because they listen but don't obey to God's word. Because they struggle to trust God because they don't know God. Because they lack the Holy Spirit. And because they spend more time looking at the world than God. And finally, or sorry, not finally, because they're lacking sacrifice and an unwillingness to bear their cross. We've looked through all these reasons, and I'm sure that if you're struggling, one of these reasons applies to you, and that, or maybe multiple do, and that it can help you to grow closer to God and to not have those same struggles in your life. Now, before I end this podcast, I feel like it's so important to always put, get on this fact that does, are we expected to do all these things perfectly? Of course not. We're expected to grow in Christ, to do our best, and to get better. And if we do these things to the best of our ability, that's what's going to help us to not struggle. But what does that really mean? Will doing all of these things, will living out God's Word, will having a trust in God, will having the Holy Spirit and sacrificing and all those things, will that take out all the bad things? Will that mean that we'll never see struggle, that we'll never see hard times, that we'll never face persecution, that we'll never get sick, that we'll never, you know, that we'll never face a difficult challenge in life. Not at all. That's not what we see in the Bible. Right? 
if you think about how the apostles lived their lives, they didn't live lifestyles and mansions and richness. That If that's what God promised, their lives, what's recorded in the Bible, would look so much differently. But instead we see people like Paul who is shipwrecked, who is beaten, who is abused, who is imprisoned, all these things. Yet what we see is the way that he handles it is so much different than how you would handle it if you were in the world. He's still found in prison singing praises joyously to God, right? So it changes not the situations we will face, but the way that we handle those situations. When we really know God, when we really live for God, when we trust in God, and when we have God's Spirit, we're able to go through situations that used to knock us down, and we're able to stand strong like that house built on a firm foundation, right? That's what he means, is we'll be able to stand up when all these bad things come, and they won't affect us in the way that they would have when we weren't living right. So it's just, I want to be so clear that yes, you can live a great life through God and through doing what we've talked about in this podcast today, but that's not going to be what changes everything. Until we go to heaven, life will not be perfect. But we do are promised a perfection in heaven, and that's yet one more reason that we're able to face everything we do, not having to worry about it, but just taking it on the chin, taking it in joy, and trusting in God, and knowing that in the future we're going to have a better day. The biggest reason that we struggle as Christians it was because we lose sight of those things. But if we trust in God, if we know God, if we do what we've talked about in this podcast, then we won't have to hurt, we won't have to worry, we won't have to be anxious, afraid, or anything like that. But we can go through life trusting that God has a purpose, that God has a plan, and that He is going to see us through every situation. God is going to meet our needs. right? The Bible says, look at the birds. They don't they don't feed themselves, but they never go without hungry. They don't worry about the food because God provides the food for them, and won't he do the same for us? And the answer is yes, he will. All we have to do is trust. All we have to do is obey, and God will meet us where we're at and meet our needs when we have them and when we need them. And it may not look like how we hope it would look, and it may not make sense to us in the moment, but I know that if we continue trusting God, all things will make sense in the end, and we will be blessed by God. So I hope that this podcast has helped you in some way. Maybe you can take what you've heard here, if you're not struggling in this way, and be able to share and to help other people who you do see struggling. Because the goal is to share from what God has given us, everything we have, give it back to Him. Anyways, I hope this, guy, this podcast has been a blessing. We will see you guys on Wednesday for the God Notes podcast. And until then, hope you guys have a great rest of your week. I was trying to not cough. It got me. I hope you have a great rest of your week, and God bless.